Swivel. When you start building a business on your own, it's a blank slate, and that's exciting. You're calling the shots, making the decisions with no one to answer to but you. But that freedom can be isolating. Being on your own means that there's no one to bounce ideas off of, no one to motivate you when you're just not feeling it, no one to hold you accountable when you're procrastinating on a task and you're doing everything else that needs doing except the thing that you really need to do. Now let's not throw too much shade on procrastination. My house is never cleaner than when I'm avoiding some tricky work task. And things like refilling all the jars in the spice rack and organizing the linen press probably would never happen if there wasn't something that we didn't want to do instead. Beyond motivation and accountability, being a solo founder can make it very easy to fall into the silo of your own ideas, where you're not being challenged to try new things, take risks, strive to do better. But how can you get that when it's just you and you're not ready to hire anyone or build a team or pay for consulting or mentoring? You're just alone. From Swivel Media, I'm Scotty Allen, and this is Starting Line, where we speak to emerging and established founders and industry experts, and we start from the beginning. My guest today is a founder, but also a subject matter expert when it comes to community management. I was delighted to be able to have this conversation with her, which may answer some of our questions when it comes to building connection and accountability for yourself as a solo or emerging founder. My name is Paz Pazarski and I'm the community manager at Startup Victoria. I love working at Startup Vic and really my role really focuses on supporting founders across Victoria and more broadly in Australia to build impactful businesses. I also wear a founder hat as well and started my own music brand and a community called the Community Collective to support community managers in Australia. So if we start by thinking about the journey of a founder, in your work with founders and emerging founders, what would you say are the most common issues that can stop them from being successful? What are the kind of early roadblocks that can make that journey end or make it harder than it needs to be? I've definitely observed a lot of different challenges that founders have faced. I uh, used to work at RMIT supporting a lot of students, I guess, find problems that they were really passionate about to solve and they would fall into this entrepreneurial journey and and also wearing the startup Vic hat have witnessed a lot of different founders across many industries and the things that have worked and, and, and haven't worked but have been great lessons. So I think one of the biggest challenges that I've observed in the early days is when you have found something that you're really passionate about and you want to solve a problem, It's really easy to go at it alone and get sucked into being really dedicated to create a solution that addresses it. But I think one of the biggest challenges is when you stay a solo founder for a really long time. I think when you are a founder, you do wear a lot of different hats and it can be really uh, overwhelming at times to know what is the biggest priority for me right now, what should I be focusing on, where should I be putting my energy into and how much money do I need to I guess, put under this. Let's take that isolation piece as a starting point. 
what are some of the ways that a solo founder can avoid being isolated, both from a collaboration point of view, uh, but also just being in their own silo? I don't have staff. I don't have a team. I don't have a peer. How can I get that? It's very common for a lot of founders to be in the journey alone. Something that I've really advocated for is finding your people and finding your people who are also doing a similar thing and really looking at that community piece. So how can you find people who are on a similar path to you, who are also trying to build a business or start a startup or solve a problem? And how can you connect in with them to relate and learn from each other? Because isolation can be really detrimental to a lot of decision-making, a lot of morale and well-being and also your own personal direction but when you have people in the journey with you who are also tackling similar challenges it can just make it a lot more enjoyable and also a lot more effective so I think community really sits at the heart of that. Now I'm a member of Startup Vic that's how we met and I can definitely talk to you what is done there and how that has benefited me as an emerging founder. So can you talk a bit about some of the structures that you put in place for your founder members and how they get benefit out of it? The Startup Victoria community really started off back in 2014 with a couple founders gathering around and organizing meetup groups. And it grew over years to be Australia's biggest startup community with over 60,000 people. And really the purpose of what we do at Startup Vic is to create more founders that are better founders. And so I guess some of the structures that we have created to build that vision and and really action what we're trying to do is ask a lot of founders what they need. We've spent a lot of time talking to the people in our community and the supporters on the sidelines about what support they would like and then that has really dictated what structures we've built. So, for example, we've we've heard that a lot of founders want to have more support with accountability and actually getting things done. We found that people understand this is on my to-do list, like I know the things I need to do but how do I actually make the time and find the motivation to get them done. One thing that we do at Startup Vic is we create regular check-in points and bring founders together and and facilitate that conversation of what are your priorities right now? What is the thing that you've been putting off for so long but you need to get done? And we've found that's been a really grounding exercise for a lot of people. I can speak to that personally. That has been, I think, one of the things in the Founder Connect sessions that I've attended that has really helped me is when everything is urgent, nothing is important. So having that accountability just to take the time to articulate it and then set goals is so powerful. You know, Even today, as we were preparing for this, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I actually haven't done the thing that I said I was going to do at our last meeting. So I better get this done before I talk to Paz. <laughs> I love that. Accountability at its best. <laughs> and understanding the problems that other people have as well makes you realize that a lot of the things that you are going through are not unique. One of the things that I found most surprising about is what I've gotten out of talking to people who are in industries that have nothing to do with what I do, but I'm still learning from their journey as well. So what is that like trying to bring a really diverse community together of people from very different backgrounds and interests? Yeah. One thing that I've learned about bringing diverse people together under one community is that 
you have to have the common thread the common thread and foundation that underpins the community. So first and foremost, you've got to understand who is your audience, who are you serving and and why are we here? And so when you identify that, great, we're supporting founders, mainly in Victoria, even that audience identification is still really broad. And even within that, there are still so many different subgroups. So Something that's really key about building diverse communities is really ensuring that you can curate the groups even within the meetups that you have because say you've got a founder who is building um, a bicycle light that is a product, they've got an e-commerce website and they are trying to sell and create manufacturing chain lines. And then you've got someone on the other side who is, building an app that solves uh, pain and relief for those who deal with chronic pain. Yes, they are both founders. Yes, they're on an entrepreneurial journey, but they still have underlying differences and challenges. So something that we try and do is ensure that we're matchmaking and and bringing the people who are product-based founders together so that they can talk with one another as well as the service base. But you do have cross-pollination across both groups, but you still need to divide and conquer within because, yeah, you want to make sure it's relatable as well. How do you channel people into those particular kind of funnels, as it were? Like, what's the process when somebody comes on board to identify what might be the best match for them in terms of your programs or services? Usually the first three weeks of a member joining a community is the most important three weeks because it's the first impression and something that I really find paramount is ensuring that you have a great onboarding experience that not only sets them up for success they've got all the things they know where to go they know they know who you are how to contact you but it's also that I and other community managers can understand what the member is trying to solve so for example we have a welcome call where we basically unpack everything about the membership but we also do a goal setting exercise with everyone to understand what everyone is trying to achieve And in that moment, you're taking tabs on everyone, you're writing notes and you're understanding, great, okay, Maria is really trying to secure six partnerships in e-commerce. Awesome. John is really looking to raise X amount. And so when those people come along to the groups, you have a snapshot and an idea of exactly who everyone is and then can separate them into private breakout groups if if you're running something online um, or just connect people and make lots of introductions. One of the objections to spending time on something like that from a solo founder can just be, I don't have the time. I can't prioritize that right now. So what would you say to somebody in that space about why it's worth it? If I was speaking to a founder who wasn't sure or wasn't certain that they had the time to carve out in their day to come along to a session that was actually going to help them work on the business, I, I think there's two sides to that. First, I would double check that say if I'm wearing my startup Vic hat are we delivering something that's of value to founders and is this worth their time and making sure that it is and it stays relevant and that we communicate that really clearly and so once that is done there's a guarantee we're like great this is relevant this is going to address the needs and it's going to deliver value it's, it's really about understanding the priorities of the founder and if it is going to be a value, but it's understanding that you do need to spend time working 
in the business. You've got to get things done. You have to make sure that you're working with your team and you're and you're writing up the contracts and things are ticking along, but you also need time to carve out to actually work on the business. Because sometimes when you're so in the weeds, it can be really easy to get distracted and lose sight of the bigger picture. And so carving out time for strategy is actually going to help you in the long term and make it a lot clearer and less confusing of where you're going. So we talked a little bit about some of the ways at Startup Vic that you create opportunities for accountability. What are some of the ways that an individual can do that for themselves? If they're not in a position to join an organization like yours, what are some simple ways that a solo founder can build in accountability for themselves? For accountability to actually be successful, you first need to do the work and make sure you have really great goals. And so once you've got that clear plan and you know what your priorities are, some of the tips that I've heard from other founders about accountability and also have experienced myself is setting fake deadlines, like understanding timeframes and when things need to get done because you, know, you can reminisce on high school days when, you know, your essay's due at midnight. Suddenly you just pull out all of this energy to get things done. Deadlines do help. I think understanding and finding someone else who you can share your goals with and check in with. I think above all, having someone else and knowing that this person is going to ask you, oh, how are you going with your marketing plan? You're going to get it. You're going to get it done. And there's a really great article called The Elephants that Michael Batko, the CEO of Starmate, did a write-up about Nick Crocker's philosophy. But The Elephants is really about finding someone who can be your fellow elephant to set goals with and check in with. And I've personally done it with a really great friend and it's been one of the best things for me. Mm, I think those kind of informal critical friendships or mentorships are things that, again, we often overlook from a time perspective, but they can give you so much. I've been working on writing a book related to the work that I do, and I've had a couple of writing buddies who I've caught up with uh, who are writing as well. One of them is published now. And just that informal uh, accountability of you know, how are you going, you know, where are you up to, what's blocking you, uh, what resources are you finding helpful has been really powerful in terms of keeping me going. Um, and it's the same with mentorships, actually. It's one of the things that I have found most uh, challenging as a solo founder is realizing that I have to put myself in positions where I have to explain what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I think it's going to work. Um, you know, when I have a team and we uh, try to be very transparent and have you know everybody feeling confident to give feedback. But when you are the boss, it's not the same as kind of being on the spot with someone else to justify your uh, business decisions and explain why you think that something is going to work. And so what I've done now is I've gone to people that I've worked with previously who I know, really know their stuff, whose opinion I trust, but I also trust them to be critical, to ask critical questions, you know, not just, oh my gosh, that's amazing. We all need that too. But sometimes you need someone to say, so how do you think that's actually going to work? Or how is that going to make money? It's so spot on because it's really helpful when you find a place or a network or a group of people that you can go to talk specifically about your business. Because when you go to your friends or your family, it can be a bit confusing and trying to explain exactly what you're solving can 
not always make that much sense. But when you've joined a community and you're like, great, this is the place where I go and I speak about my business and you talk about things with others, it really helps with that mindset and framing. Mm. So what would you say are some things that a solo founder may not realize are available to them that they can access, whether that's mentoring or funding? What are some of the doors that you in your position are able to open up for people that they may not otherwise realize that they have access to? I think it's really important when you are in the early days of creating a a business to understand what support is on offer. And so there are some really great resources and Australia's startup space is really flourishing and, and there's a lot of support at the moment. And I think in the early days, first of all, a lot of founders don't even think that they are a founder. It's really hard to identify with that label. But if you are someone that is trying to build a solution or you've got a business idea, you're a founder, you're a founder to be. And so having a Google search straight away and understanding what startup resources are available. I love looking at the different government grants that are going on. Looking at accelerator programs are really helpful. If you're at a university at the moment, a lot of universities have some really great um, startup support. So RMIT, Melbourne, Monash, Latrobe, Deakin, they've all got their own entrepreneurial hubs that help you understand what support you need. Even myself working at Startup Victoria, we are also a gateway to understand what the hell is the startup world? (laughs) What is that and what can I gain from it? So you've talked a bit about the other hats that you wear. You are also a founder. So can you tell us a little bit about that piece of your life, how that came to be and what your business is? So I have put on a few different founder hats. In 2012, I was listening to a lot of different yoga teachers talk about how sick of Spotify they were of finding songs and relaxation music tracks and and different playlists of music that that calms listeners and I have a classical guitar background and I play piano and I was understanding the need of relaxation music in this space and so I started a personal music brand uh, called Paz Sounds to write relaxation music for meditation. And it's a very calming role, that's for sure. But one of the biggest lessons I've learned as a founder is to not associate yourself with your business. It can be really easy to pour your own personality and your energy into a brand, but actually detaching yourself from it is really important. Otherwise, it can be really personal when you get feedback something doesn't land correctly, it can feel really targeted, but it's not. You are the founder and you have a separate business, but I really struggled with that, especially when it was called Paz Sounds. Basically got my name in it, so I found that a really interesting journey to go on as well. And then you're also co-founding in the community space, is that right? Yes. So in the middle of last year, yes, recently myself and two other co-founders started a new community called the Community Collective. And really this was born from an observation that various community managers in Australia are experiencing similar challenges of bringing people together, running events, curating resources and welcoming new members into a space. And I guess before I even unpack the business, it's really helpful to unpack what does a community manager do 
I remember first hearing this term and I didn't even understand that was a job. I didn't even think I would become a community manager, let alone really understand what it is. So I like to think of a community manager as a netball coach. A netball coach, they manage a team and they're really looking after the players. They're recruiting new members. They're organizing the trainings. And so really a community manager is looking at bringing people together bringing in new members, running events for them and ensuring that their resources stay really relevant for that community. And so myself, Jala from Thrive and Melia from Blackbird Ventures came together and we started bringing community managers together. And about four months in, we've got over 100 members and three partners. And yeah, it's been a very exciting journey. That's fantastic. How did you guys connect as a starting point? How did you meet your co-founders? Yeah, so I'm a big advocate for finding co-founders. And simultaneously, we all had a very similar passion. But I was thinking about this idea around middle of 2020 when things were going online and it was very hard as a community manager. And I knew that Jala, uh, who used to work at Monash University, was also a community manager experiencing similar challenges. So we would catch up on calls and eventually I I shared the idea and the vision with her and she was 100% on board. So she joined and we started getting a lot of different introductions to other community managers just to share the idea. And Josh at LaunchFit connected me with Melia at Blackbird and I shared the community collective and she was actually building a very similar idea. She had a group of 20 community managers that she was talking with and I had a different group as well and we basically just joined forces and then all came together as a team and decided um, that we'd all put our energy into the community collective. Mm. You know, you mentioned a bit about what the role of a community manager is, but where, what, what types of organizations or businesses are creating space for the community manager role and how does it add value? I think over the last decade, we've been witnessing this community industry growing. It's definitely flourishing in America and Australia is we've been seeing more organizations and more startups hire a community manager role and this role is becoming more frequent and it's becoming more important because of the aspect of connection and I think that's definitely what has been highlighted here so the common organizations that are hiring community managers there's two types in my mind one type is the startup supporter so it's the organizations that are supporting founders across Australia to build businesses it's your VCs it's your accelerators it's your universities you're not-for-profits like Startup Victoria government organizations like LaunchVic who are curating the resources and building the support for the founders. And then on the flip side, there's also companies and startups that are creating products and services for customers and they hire a community manager to really ensure that they stay relevant and on the money with what their community and customer needs. So if you were going to give an emerging founder one key piece of advice, what would that be? If you only got to say one thing, what would you advise? If I was to say one thing to a solo founder who 
is someone who's thought of a business idea and they're embarking on the journey, it would be to find a co-founder, find someone who you can share your vision with. They have different skills to you and they have the same passion and stamina to really follow through because it's really hard when you're in it alone. You're trying to make decisions. You're trying to work out where you need to spend your time and money. But when you can pick up the phone and bounce that idea of someone who's in it with you, it honestly makes a world of difference. So I've found that to be something incredibly helpful. And I, I, yeah, I, I think that would be my one piece of advice. And what can that look like? Because obviously, if you're starting out, you're not making money yet. It's not like you can advertise a job and pay somebody a salary. So what are different ways that you can find a co-founder and what might that arrangement look like? I would say three things. One, it's all about meeting people. Say if you don't know someone that you think would be a great co-founder, great. Go expose yourself to more people. Go to meetup groups. Go to connect events and jump online do some networking, go on LinkedIn and reach out to some people, ask some people that you know if you know anyone in, in different industries and areas, but really understand ways to meet other people. The second thing is actually clearly mapping out who you're looking for. I think that's a really important exercise to just grab a piece of paper, write down, okay, who is my dream co-founder? What skills do they have? Where do they live? What ways of working styles do they have? What commitment am I looking from them? And really understanding what they can bring because if you're meeting a lot of people but you don't know what you're looking for you're going to miss that person anyway and then the third thing I think is really important when finding a co-founder is once you've found someone that you think you'd love to bring in to the business because it can be a really scary thing if you've like had this idea you're scared about bringing someone in what if they take it what if they leak IP or there are a lot of fears that can be valid But these fears can also be solved by really clear communication. There are also really great documents and resources on Airtree about co-founder agreements. Luna Startup Studio are really great with understanding how to bring in new team members. But I think it's really important to have a conversation about where you see the business going, where they see it going, what roles you're going to play and responsibilities, and how long you want to be in it for. I think it's really important to understand, is this person going to just come in for a day a week and just do a little thing and then leave or are they in it for five years unpaid slogging away with you celebrating the wins and on the phone for the losses because you just want to be really clear about what you're signing up for because there can be a lot of horror stories of not having those conversations getting two years down the track and Mm. all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that kind of level of transparency from the beginning. I think sometimes when you're really excited about something, it's easy to jump in, but also you don't want to do anything to break it. So you can put off having conversations that you need to have. But when you actually take the time to put stuff in writing, uh, maybe take some cool down time to really think things through. It's just incredibly important because when you look at the misunderstandings that can come later through assumption, uh, you know, anything that you haven't articulated, it's not a blank slate. People make assumptions about it, whether that's their financial stake or what the kind of ownership is. So taking that time and also being prepared that if you lay out stuff clearly in the way that you envision, someone might look at it and say no, and that is actually better than going into it blind and then getting tangled up later. 
Completely. Those co-founder conversations in the early days can be really hard. They can be awkward and they can feel a bit premature, but that is the best time to have them because you're talking at a time when things are exciting. There's not a lot on the line. And for example, what we did is we, when we could, we booked a really nice dinner. We went out as a team and we had a list of 25 questions and we pre-prepared a list of about 25 questions in five different areas. And we just went through them one by one and we made it fun and um, we caught up as well. And, and we started brainstorming visions, but we had the, yeah, the conversations about uh, what people's roles and responsibilities are, what, what they love doing, what they hate doing, because you also want to make sure that it is enjoyable and that you are doing the things that you're also good at because there's no point in um, taking on the, the responsibilities that that you hate and aren't great at. So really just understanding how you do that role split is important too. I think it's a really fantastic conversation something that you know often you don't think about you know you might either feel like no one else can understand this so no one could be a partner with me which is a red flag in itself in terms of the actual scalability of the business because at some point someone else is going to have to understand it or it's never going to grow but then on the other side you can feel like you know this just isn't a big enough deal to ask anybody to do it this with me but if you've got a vision and you find other people that can share that vision and add to it um, then like with my core team right now, the financial arrangements are pretty small, but we're able to say, Hey, we're going to do this thing. And if it grows, then we all have a stake in it. And we've got to do those next steps of working out what that's actually going to look like because we want to have those problems. You know, it might seem premature, but I'd rather do that than ensure down the track. It may not have worked out. We might be doing something else, but if it does, we will all be protected by having that kind of clarity in place as we win. So I think that's a really valuable conversation. Definitely. In terms of things to think about, because it's it's not what I would have thought that you would have said. It's probably not the thing that people would automatically think about, but you need partnership. You need other people's ideas early in the piece. Exactly. I think that's a really great point of talking about equity and a, a cap table split early in early days. If you don't, If you don't know what that is, jump on Google, have a search, look up Cake Equity. They're a really great organization based in Australia that help founders and a team split that and what that really looks like. And also looking at employer share schemes and other ways that aren't a financial return or a salary per se, uh, but bringing uh, other people on in different ways as well. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things that I find having come from the ed tech startup space as a product manager and now being in a startup that isn't purely tech focused is that a lot of programs and accelerator pieces are very geared towards software as a service, um, very geared towards a particular type of business, which obviously has its own sort of funding model. And a business like a media startup doesn't have that same kind of funding model or attractiveness to an investor. So for people who are more, you know, they're making a thing, whether it's a product or a service, it's not something that's going to become the next unicorn. What are the right avenues for them to go down? I find myself in, in a lot of things where 10 minutes in, I realize, oh, this isn't for me because I'm not tech. So what are the right avenues for founders like me? That's a great question because there are a lot of different avenues for non-tech startups. And so... If we look at a textbook definition of startup, 
it's really a tech-enabled business that is scalable and profitable and can move very quickly. And there are a lot of people who have ideas that aren't that. People just want to make a non-alcoholic beer. You look at Heaps Normal, they're, you know, making non-alcoholic beer, XPAs that are very delicious. But it's not that traditional tech-enabled business, but there's still avenues for them to get funding and support across Australia. So I think across the board, it can feel a bit like a fish out of water if you're creating a product in a very tech startup world, but there is still support for you. So I definitely recommend finding the product-based businesses who have gone through different accelerators and programs and have found that support and asking them where they went. I think finding the people who are five steps ahead, they're 10 steps ahead of you, who've created a similar product or a similar business and asking them how they made it, what support they gained, who helped them, where did they go, how did they find it, what value did they get, what did they hate, what did they learn, and taking note. I think it's really important to learn from the people who've followed in your footsteps before. And I found connecting with people who are not necessarily in the same kind of sphere in terms of what they're making, uh, you know, but still not in that pure software space, has been so valuable just from a, a learning perspective, learning about opportunities that they're aware of that I'm not, but also creating opportunities for each other through businesses being able to give each other business or refer business to each other. The more that you kind of know about what other people do, it's really powerful. So the last couple of questions are really about well-being. I I try not to say work-life balance because to me it's more work-life integration. So how do you make all those things go together? When you think about the issues that solo founders face in terms of balance, how do you deal with that? I think it's a great and really important topic to discuss, especially having recently had Are You OK Day and World Mental Health Days. And I think it is a very important topic to touch on because if you look at the stats, founders really have experienced a lot of hardship because there is a lot going on. Just working a job that's nine to five and you clock off and you clock on and that's it and you go home and, and you're done for the day. It is a very integrated choice because you are making it your life. It's something that you think about a lot. So I think something that works for me, I guess, when I'm when I feel a bit overwhelmed about what's on my plate and and trying to juggle lots of different commitments, first of all is planning. I find I feel really well overwhelmed when I feel like I have so much to do and I don't know when I'm going to do it and it feels like it's all going to crash and burn. So I think planning really helps me because I just do a brain dump of everything that's everything that I need to do anywhere. It's my full-time job. It's the side hustles. It's watering the garden. It's all the things in between and boxing them into different categories of themes like, cool, this is business. That's what that's personal, that's fitness, and then understanding and then prioritizing them, being like, okay, I definitely don't need to water the garden right now. It's not urgent. And for, and spending the time on the things that are really prior, are priorities, it's so easy to get distracted by the exciting opportunities or, or the things that are super, super urgent uh, but actually aren't going to progress your you and your business forward. So I think really understanding where you should spend your energy is also really important. 
Mm. One of the things that I find is helping me is actually setting aside time not to work. Particularly here in Melbourne, in lockdown at the moment, some of the things that you might normally do in your off time you can't do. And when the list feels like it's never ending, it's easy just to just be kind of constantly working. So actually having a weekend of not turning on the computer or not looking at things uh, is something that I'm I'm trying. It's challenging, but it actually makes me better when I come back to it because I've actually had a break from it rather than being in it all the time. Definitely, definitely. I think for me as well, music has played a huge part in my life and carving out time to use my brain in a different way and use my hands and actually learn a new song and pick up the guitar and play. I think taking on a new skill, which can feel even more like a bad idea if you don't want to put anything else on your plate, but picking a different skill that isn't, that is using your brain in a different way can also be a really nice break Mm. um, from thinking Mm. about, I guess, your business and, and different strategies to bring it forward. It can be really refreshing because there's lots of different types of rest and recharge. It's not just sleep. It's creative rest. It's calling a friend. uh, It's going for a walk. It's that downtime that doesn't have to be. This has been fantastic. And we've covered a lot of ground, I think. Is there anything else that you think is important to talk about in the emerging founder space? Yeah. So I think something that a lot of other founders as well face in the early days, it's really common to also have a lot of self-doubt I think that's I think that's also can be very human nature to feel like you may not be the best person to take this forward and that can be really daunting putting yourself out there can feel weird talking about what you want to do can feel awkward I think that's really normal but a reframe that I'd love to offer when you're starting out is instead of thinking you're talking about you and what people will think of you Communicate the value that you're offering. Communicate why this is something that people should listen to because when you come back to the purpose and the mission and and why you're doing what you're doing, it's a lot easier to speak about that than, oh, look at this business I made, this is what I'm doing because it's very me-focused. But when you detach that completely and focus it on why this will benefit you, it's a lot easier to speak about and also put energy into. I think the feeling of discomfort in the early days is inevitable. And if we look at your comfort zone, of course it's very nice and warm and you want to stay there, but the place where you grow is in the uncomfort. So when you step out of that comfort zone and you're feeling this discomfort, harness that. And actually champion that because that's that's where the growth happens. That's where the learning happens. That's where the the change and and the inspiration comes from. But when you are feeling that discomfort, I think it's a trigger that you are in the right direction as well. Because if you're not embarrassed by your first MVP or your first website, you've launched too late. Like you need something <laughs> scrappy just out there, like. We talk about having duct tape on things to fix it. The first website we launched, we created on GoDaddy and it was, I think, a drone video my brother took and it just said the community collective and it had a, a button. That was it, and some scrappy Facebook page. and But we just needed to have something that was embarrassing and not the best up there because then we got feedback on it. And then we've created something that's more on brand from the customers and the people that we're serving. 
fantastic. We've covered a lot of ground. I've definitely found it helpful. I hope that our listeners find it helpful as well. Paz Pazarski, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. No worries at all, Scotty. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you'd like to find out more about Paz, you can find her on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can check out pazsounds.com if you'd like some lovely music to help you concentrate while you're working from home. If you'd like to learn more about Startup Victoria, go to startupvictoria.com.au and you can learn more about the Community Collective at thecommunitycollective.co. Starting Line is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace and me, Scotty Allen. Our consulting producer is Amanda Reedy. Original music and sound design is by Ash Deneef, and our show artwork is by Mark Osmendi. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all our shows, and find us on social media for updates on new releases. Swivel.